Hello, active and inactive listeners. You monarchs here to behold this swelling scene. I'm Madeline Waddle, and this is my colleague and artist in arms, Dodd. Birch. Tonight, we have the fourth installment of Arden Radio Theater's Scottish play. And after that, stick around for an interview with Mead Gander. Last time we spoke with Mead, we ended up talking particle physics, so we'll get ready for a journey. Welcome to the Horned Moon Presents on KMU 98.5. The cat, providing you with up-to-the-minute arts coverage for the Arden County area. Dob, you're being uncharacteristically quiet tonight, which is a bit of a problem for a radio program. What's up, buddy? My heart's just not in it tonight. I'm sorry. What sadness lengthens Dobbin's hours? nothing everything it's it's not just sadness it's i have a lot of of thoughts and feelings right now on a lot of different things don't you yeah i do recent developments have been troubling to be sure the world and everyone on it is terrible do you agree uh, sometimes, definitely. Today, the world is terrible. Yes. Well, dear listeners, I'm afraid the curse has struck again. No, I absolutely forbid you to link this to the curse. I don't think we can count it out entirely, Dobbins. The Horned Moon received some correspondence this week that really can only be called a bombshell. And we feel we must address it before we move forward. Do you want to read it, Dob? Honestly, no. Okay, I will. So, a copy of the following was put in both Dob's and my mailbox here at the station sometime over the last weekend. It reads as follows. Dear Waddle, Dob, and Horned Moon listeners, there is something rotten in Arden Radio Theater which must be brought to light, lest this once great institution collapse in on itself, consuming itself tail first like that one snake thing from the mythic past. Participation in an ART show is a joyful experience, which has been marred of late by the inexplicable machinations of the board. We understand that the board has opted to operate in anonymity to avoid an appearance of favoritism and protect themselves from coercion, but it has had the opposite effect. We are left stymied by their decisions, from the allocation of microphones to the choice of plays and appointment of directors to some obvious and yet mystifying patterns in casting. All leave a bad taste in the mouths of those who would crave fair play and a chance to play fairly. To whom can we complain when they keep themselves hidden in the shadows? Let this open letter serve as a formal request for the board of ART to reveal themselves and explain their conduct. Sincerely, four McB castmates united in the quest for transparency. There's two things about this that really get me, Waddle. First, 
Writing a passive-aggressive open letter? We don't work in a cubicle-ridden office. Just call people out on their crap and move on. Well, I just want to know who they are so I can apologize. I don't know how to make it up to anybody if I don't know who they are. Wait, back up. Apologize? Yeah. Hashtag waddleleer. Honestly, it's just been a bit fun to speculate, but I wouldn't dream of directing. I totally understand that there are far too many people more qualified than I am. Waddle, this is not just about you. It's pretty pointed, Dobbins. It's not about you. Hashtag waddleleer does not belong in this conversation. The other thing that really gets my goat in all of this, they're right. Oh, don't say that, Dob. Now, I would prefer that they handled this in an adult way, but let's get honest. Something is rotten in the state of Arden Radio Theater, and it's been rotting for a long time. You know that you are already among those suspected of writing this letter, right? I am. You publicly accuse the board of being reptilian vampires? People don't hide if they're not being chased. I understand why the board initially made the choice to fade into the background, but we're left here like children without an adult explaining the rules. It's turning into Lord of the Flies out there. None of us are professionals. We're just DJs and orthodontists and teachers and organic farmers having fun, which means we should be supporting each other and not being so terribly competitive. If we can't have fun, then why do this meaningless, self-aggrandizing, narcissistic, stupid crap? Because it's our wheelbarrow and rainwater and chickens. Our what? Well, life, you know, is made up of a random collection of the terribly inconsequential. Wheelbarrows and rainwater and chickens, except that death and disease and injustice and things of great pith and moment are always lurking just around the corner, which makes wheelbarrows and rainwater and chickens of the utmost importance. Everything depends on them. I don't think that's what I'm talking about. Well, William Carlos Williams could have been wrong. I didn't know the man. Waddle, your unrelenting optimism is not always an honorable trait. Yeah, I know. So what are we going to do, Waddle? Well, first, we're going to hear the next installment of Mackers, Hail King of Scotland, and then we're going to interview Mead Gander, who plays Banquo. F***ing Banquo! Uh, pardon? Banquo is part of the problem, Waddle. He has multiple opportunities to prevent tragedy from befalling Scotland, and he doesn't step up. He shirks them. He's a responsibility shirker. What are you talking about? Shirked his responsibilities? And he is very effective. Thank you very much. Well, why don't we revisit this with our Banquo after tonight's installment? Oh, we are revisiting. We are very much revisiting. We are revisiting so much. We're going to get a punch card for a free revisit after the first 10 visits. But, Dob, you need to let it all go because tonight is your ART debut. Yeah. Well, 
Satan is going to be a little grumpy and dusty groom tonight, all right? We are all just dying to know how you've taken to the spotlight, Dob. It's not a duck-to-water situation, Waddle. But you seem to be enjoying yourself. I am. I am. I, I definitely am having fun with it, I, I think. I mean, I know that there's no small parts and no only small actors, but do I find that in this particular play, where every episode, all I want to do is yell at Mac... Don't say it. I just want to yell at Mac, full stop. It's aggravating not to have more influence on the play. Like, you see these terrible things unfolding, and I just want to rip up the text and intervene. Interesting. Are you going to intervene tonight? No. No, of course not. I just... I really want to. It's it's an insatiable itch. The only way to scratch it is to keep auditioning. Perhaps in the future. But before that, here's Arden Radio Theater with part four, Hail King of Scotland. Arden Radio Theatre presents Macbeth, Part 4, Hail King of Scotland. Some days have passed since the pealing of the bells announced the reign of King Macbeth. Now the great thanes of Scotland wait upon his pleasure at his palace, feast at his table, and fight for his name. The dearest to his heart, Banquo, saddles his horse in the royal stables, lost in thought. Thou hast it now, King, Cawdor, Glams, all, as the weird women promised, and I fear thou hast pledged most foully for it. Yet it was said it should not stand in thy posterity, but that myself should be the root and father of many kings, if there come truth from them, as upon thee, Macbeth, their speeches shine. Why? By the verities on thee made good, may they not be my oracles as well, and set me up in hope, but hush, no more. The king and his queen step in from the gardens. Here's our chief guest. If he had been forgotten, it had been as a gap in our great feast, and all thing unbecoming. Tonight we hold a solemn supper, sir, and I'll request your presence. Let your highness command upon me, to the which my duties are with a most indissoluble tie forever knit. Ride you this afternoon. I, my good lord. We should have else desired your good advice, which still hath been both grave and prosperous in this day's council. But we'll take tomorrow. Is far you ride? As far, my lord, as will fill up the time twixt this and supper. Go not my horse the better. I must become a borrower of the night for a dark hour or twain. Uh, fail not our feast. My lord, I will not. Hie you to horse. Adieu. Uh, till you return at night, goes Fleance with you. Aye, my good lord. Our time does call upon I wish your horse is swift and sure of foot, and so I do commend you to their backs. Farewell. Let every man be master of his time till seven at night. To make society the sweeter welcome, we will keep ourselves till supper time alone. Well then, God be with you. 
As Banquo rides out and the queen sweeps back towards the castle, our king beckons to a dusty groom. Sirrah, a word with you? Attend those men our pleasure? They are, my lord, without the palace gate. Bring them before us. To be thus is nothing but to be safely thus. Our fears in Banquo stick deep, and in his royalty of nature reigns that which would be feared. Tis much he dares, and to the dauntless temper of his mind, he hath a wisdom that doth guide his valor to act in safety. There is none but he whose being I do fear. He chid the sisters when first they put the name of king upon me, and bade them speak to him. Then, prophet-like, they hailed him father to a line of kings. Upon my head they placed a fruitless crown, no son of mine succeeding. If be so, for Banquo's issue have I filled my mind. For them the gracious Duncan have I murdered. Only for them and mine eternal jewel given to the common enemy of man. To make them kings. The seeds of Banquo kings. Rather than so come fate into the list and champion me to the utterance. Later, in a dimly lit stairwell, Macbeth meets with two hooded strangers. Both of you know Banquo was your enemy. True, my lord. So is he mine, and in such bloody distance that every minute of his being thrust against my nearest of life. And though I could, with bare-faced power, sweep him from my sight and bid my will avouch it, yet I must not, for certain friends that are both his and mine, whose loves I may not drop. And thence it is that I to your assistance do make love, making the business from the common eye for sundry weighty reasons. We shall, my lord, perform what you command us. Though our lives... Your spirits shine through you. Within this hour at most, I will advise you where to plant yourselves, acquaint you with the perfect spy of the time, the moment on't, for it must be done tonight, and something from the palace, always thought that I require a clearness, and with him, to leave no rubs nor botches in the work, Flayons, his son, that keeps him company, whose absence is no less material to me than is his father's must embrace the fate of that dark hour. Resolve yourselves apart. I'll come to you anon. We are resolved, my lord. I'll call upon you straight. Abide within. It is concluded. Banquo thy soul's flight, if it find heaven, must find it out tonight. How now, my lord? Why do you keep alone? Of sorriest fancies your companions making, using those thoughts which should indeed have died with them they think on? Things without all remedy should be without regard. What's done is done. We have scorched the snake, not killed it. She'll close and be herself whilst our poor malice remains in danger of her former tooth. But let the frame of things disjoint, both the worlds suffer. Ere we will eat our meal in fear, and sleep in the affliction of these terrible dreams that shake us nightly. Better be with the dead, whom we to gain our peace have sent to peace, than on the torture of the mind to lie in restless ecstasy. 
Duncan is in his grave. After life's fitful fever, he sleeps well. Treason has done his worst. Nor steel, nor poison, malice, domestic, foreign levy, nothing can touch him further. Come on, gentle my lord, sleek o'er your rugged looks. Be bright and jovial among your guests tonight. So shall I, love, and so I pray be you. Let your remembrance apply to Banquo. Present him eminence, both with eye and tongue, unsafe the while, that we must lave our honors in these flattering streams and make our faces visards to our hearts, disguising what they are. You must leave this. Oh, full of scorpions is my mind, dear wife. Thou knowest that Banquo and his fleance lives. But in them nature's copies not etern. There's comfort yet, they are assailable. Then be thou jocund. Ere the bat hath flown his cloistered flight, ere to black Hecate's summons, the shard-born beetle with its drowsy hums hath rung the night's yawning peal, there shall be done a deed of dreadful note. What's to be done? Be innocent of the knowledge, dearest Chuck, till thou applaud the deed. Come, sealing night, scarf up the tender eye of pitiful day, and with thy bloody and invisible hand cancel and tear to pieces that great bond which keeps me pale. Light thickens, and the crow makes wing of the rookie wood. Good things of day begin to droop and drowse, while Night's black agents to their praise do rouse. Thou marvelest at my words, but hold thee still. Things had begun make strong themselves by ill. So prithee, go with me. On a hill, two men watch a road by moonlight, when a third man joins them. But who did bid thee join with us? Macbeth. He needs not our mistrust, since he delivers our offices and what we have to do to the direction just. Then stand with us. The west yet glimmers with some streaks of day. Now spurs the lated traveler apace to gain the timely inn, and near approaches the subject of our watch. Hark, I hear horses. Give us a light there, ho! And tis he. The rest that are within the note of expectation already are in the court. A light! A light! Tis he. Stand to it. It will be rain tonight. Let it come down. Oh, treachery! Fly! Good Fleance! Fly! 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 Thou mayst revenge! Fleance escapes, looking back only once to see his father fall beneath the blades of the murderers. Who did strike out the light? It's not the way. There's but one down. The sun has fled. We have lost best half of our affair. Well, let's away and say how much is done. And so the villains disappear into the dark. The blood of Banquo seeps into the earth, finding its way back to the heart of Scotland. His eyes fill with the stars above as they reel in the night, until Banquo sees no more. Who will pay for this most cruel of murders? Join us next week, when Lennox says, what is it that moves your highness?
Wow, intense. As we didn't get to the arts calendar earlier, let me do that now while Dob and Mead move from studio to studio. This Thursday, Berries Berries will be hosting a fundraiser jam to rebuild Claude Krakowski's art studio. Tickets are $40 for a single, 60 a couple, always financially punishing the lonely, how like Barry. And the bill includes the Rome Rogers and Hammerstein Society, the Padua Jazz Quartet, local bands, the Peafowl, and the Cattywampus Rumpus Room, and headlined by local favorite, Rosie. Also, Angus Mobile's Morris Stance for World Peace is getting started tomorrow afternoon at Flatbush Park. For the next nine days, there will be continuous English festivity from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And here's this week's line of the week and a personal favorite of mine. I must become a borrower of the night. Polarios is changing it up a bit this week. Mention the line of the week for free delivery on any order over 10 bucks. Why don't we order one now? I'm down. Great. And are you ready to revisit? Oh, yeah. We are getting into it about Banquo's moral turpitude. Moral turpitude? Banquo? You are off your ever-loving rocker. Anybody who stands idly by and lets evil flourish is not a hero. Macduff is the hero. He gives everything up to face Mac... There is space between hero and moral turpitude. There are gray areas. Sure, but only if you recognize it as a gray area. Murky, undiscerning, passive. We are getting into this with Mead. We are getting into this, and together, Mead and I are going to prove how absolutely wrong you are. Do you want olives, yes or no? Don't try to distract from your disgusting, degenerate views. Yes, I want olives. I want all of the olives, all of them. And while Dob is ordering that pizza, please welcome to the mic, Banquo and Macbeth, Rosie at the Athenian stalls, the one, the only, Mead Gander. Hello. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here with you all once again. Right off the bat, Mead, I have to ask you about Dob's debut. How was it? Oh, it was lovely. I mean, really nice work. I mean, small parts can easily get overlooked and not get the attention he needs, but I think Dob just gave the right amount of nuance and interest. And plus, you know, I mean, we all leaned in a little bit closer to hear our favorite guy who's normally just behind the cam behind the mic during these interviews to actually be in the play. So I think it was a great way to highlight that part and just a fantastic debut from Dob. Well, okay, enough about me. We have some things to settle here. Mead, Waddle and I have been in a bit of a debate about Banquo, and as you are the expert, we're hoping that you can settle it. So basically, what does Banquo know, and what does he suspect about Macbeth, and why doesn't he do anything about it? I mean, I think the answer for why he doesn't do anything is because he doesn't know anything. That's what, part of what makes this such a good play as the audience, because the audience is sitting there screaming that Macbeth is a terrible villain, but to Banquo, he's his war buddy, his childhood friend. They meet a few weird witches and they say some weird stuff. And he can't imagine that his best friend, his guy, the guy who had his back 
is is suddenly killing kings, threatening women and children. It's it's completely unfathomable. Now, to be fair, I think especially in the in the watch scene, you know, there are moments where we see Banquo has this um, discomfort, this this knot in his gut, you know, but. Goodness, we all push those sorts of sinking feelings down all the time. I can't blame him for not acting on those. But do you think maybe, you know, especially once that Thane of Cawdor things happens, and then obviously Duncan gets killed under Macbeth's own roof, and, um, and Macbeth becomes king, might there start to be some sort of ambition or desire that Banguo has for himself or for Fleance that drives him to overlook that that feeling? Uh, sure. I mean, that could be an artistic choice that some actors or directors might be interested in pursuing. But in my mind, you know, this play already has its hero. It's, you know, Macduff or whatever, and it already has its villain, Macbeth, plus the witches. It, it doesn't need another villain. To me, Banquo's just the guy caught up in it all. And so I know in my performance, personally, not trying to judge other actors, but in my performance, I was not interested in trying to layer in that sort of darkness or ambition because I really wanted to keep Banquo kind of above the fray and separate and more of an everyman sort of character. Well, thank you, Mead, for validating my opinion. Of course. There it is, Dob. Okay, so I grant he's an everyman character, which makes me wonder if it isn't fear that drives him to stand idly by and watch Scotland fall to ruin and never make a direct move against Macbeth? Of course it's fear. Fear is what drives every character in this play, except maybe the witches, because who knows what's going on in their minds. But yeah, fear drives everyone. It's, it's the ever, it's the true puppeteer of the show, because Macbeth fears losing power. Oh, sorry, Mac fears losing power. Lady M fears her husband won't do anything to take the power. Banquo fears that the prophecies will come true and that they're coming true because Mac is doing these terrible things. So, you know, and I think his inaction is all about, well, it's about inertia. And perhaps Mac and Banquo are the two opposites on this end. Mac is in motion He's taking action, he's doing things, and he can't stop himself, which we certainly see by the end of the play, which I won't jump too far ahead. Meanwhile, Banquo seems incapable of taking action. No matter how much of a bad feeling he has in his gut, he's stuck. And that's the, that's, maybe that's the biggest difference between the two of them. I don't know. I feel like we're really beating around the bush and hiding in metaphors. So, like, let's talk directly. What is... Banquo's personal culpability for the events of the play. Which lives could he have saved? I don't think he could have saved anyone. He doesn't have power because there are these supernatural beings, these these witches in this play. If this was a Henry Lefort or something sort of situation, you know, I think we could point fingers and 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 you know blame him for an action. But he truly does not, I believe, have any authority. Um, because the the prophecies will come true. And this is the way that that happens. And it happens with death and evil and destruction. I think Dobbs' tenacity on this subject stems a little bit 
from the anonymous letter that I know you're aware of, everyone in the cast is aware of it. Uh, and I, I found what you said about fear to really resonate with me in terms of that. I'm wondering about your philosophical perspective on that letter and do you think that some fears about art might be at the root of this call for change? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of fear, you know, and exactly. I think you hit the, I think you hit the money waddle with connecting it to this whole idea. When people don't know what is controlling their life, they react with fear in an attempt to gain control while protecting themselves. And I, I really respect these letter writers for that reason, because they're asking for clarity just to know what is going on. Now, whether shrouding themselves in mystery and all of that and making it public was the best route, I, I won't pretend to know their true motives or speak to that. But I think the questions they're asking are really important because without clarity, we can't know what the real problems are. And if we don't know what the problems are, then we certainly can't assess, let alone fix them. And so I think this is, you know, it's an uncomfortable and it feels tragic in some ways, but I do think it's an important first step. And so I applaud them for their bravery in that regard for writing the letter. Well, I think in a lot of ways, and I hate to put it in this, in this context, but art feels like it's starting to mirror the kingdom of Scotland at this very point in the play. What are the next steps forward when there's no trust and when faith and leadership is completely failing? Oh, exactly, exactly. Dob, I, I, I mean, you know me, I love a heavy-handed metaphor, so I am all about this discussion. But I think you're right. Scotland was a place without leadership, without an order to pass the throne and all of that. And that's where the witches come in and mess everything up. And I think here with the anonymous board, we're feeling like we don't know where we're going, what's next. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a lot of people that want to sail us into a clear, safe future, but without knowing what we're working with, who's the leader, what the goals are, we can't, we can't start to move there. Um, like, what's our next show? What are the goals? And uh, all these big, heavy questions. They're fun to think about, but only if you know all the different parts, because otherwise it's just feels powerless. I mean, I think there has been a lot of speculation. You're exactly right about the future. And to just add some more weight to the heavy-handed metaphor, I'm wondering who do you think is a potential Malcolm for us? Who could be the next leader to move art forward into a new and sunnier future? Oh, you know, there's all the usuals going around that people are talking about. Most of them bore me, like Barry, for instance. He's, he's great. He's fine. But, you know, I think if we're going to go somewhere new and exciting that really unites people and, and gives hope and clarity for the future, we need other options. And then there's Kim, also great, but doesn't really bridge that connection. Claude, gosh, no. He's, um, and I say this as a theater person, but he's far too much of a theater person. And so, you know, I have to say, my personal favorite, just speaking for me, the person who can unite people, the person that everyone loves and adores and trusts. I like you for it, Waddle. I think you'd be a great director for the next show. There is oh. a contingent that have said Waddle is our, is our next leader. 
no, no. I mean, in the best of times, I don't think I'd be the right choice, but certainly in a time of crisis, I'm not the one you want at the helm. Um, well, okay, uh, setting aside the future of art, what about the future of Neat Gander? And of course, our favorite, your alter ego, Rosie. Or are there any new personas you're going to be introducing to Arden County? Oh, dog, you're not going to get that out of me without a special interview and a prepared press release. But I can tell you I have some things cooking, you know, after doing the amazing role of Ophelia and then transitioning to Banquo. I'm taking some time to kind of revisit and really ruminate on those experiences. And so I have something. And maybe if you invite me back for a special interview, you could get the scoop. Can't wait for that. But it looks like for tonight, we're going to have to wrap this up. So Waddle, do you have a question for us in the bag of questions? I do. Let's see what we've pulled out tonight. All right. Tonight's question comes from Pericles. Canst thou catch any fishes then? Canst thou catch any fishes then? I canst. I can't catch fishes as long as I use a net. I'm useless with a rod. But actually, I worked at a little cafe for a summer. I was bored as all could get out, but I was on the ocean and I spent a lot of time throwing a casting net. So this is a little bit of true trivia about me, but I am very good at catching little fishes with a net. Oh, the fishermen in Pericles, just so all the listeners know, are some of the best written characters in all of Shakespeare. I will go on record as that. Lovely. It's so nice to learn more about you. There's nothing you could tell me about you, Mead, that would surprise me. If you told me you'd walked on the moon, I would be like, sure, of course. Oh, I can't talk about that. That's classified. Well, then, I guess all that's left to say is join us next week for the next installment of Dial M for Murder. No, you cannot say Dial M for Murder and have it stand for McDonald's. Beth. That's a separate real thing. Fine. Join us next week for the next installment of Dial M for Scottish Murder. Well, the pizza's here, so until then, this show is our show. And these dogs are my dogs. (laughs) We're Waddle. And Dob. And this has been the Horned Moon Presents. If this podcast has offended, think but this, and all is mended. That this, a work of fiction, is nothing real but for coincidence. Our show is written by Merlin Cusell, who plays Waddle, and produced by me, Marshall B. Garrett, playing Dom. Mead Gander is played by M. Finch. You can learn more about Finch at mlfinch.com, and while we like to keep politics off of the podcast, Finch would like to remind you to go vote. J. Andrew Dickinson composes our music, which is mixed by Eric Bostic. You can find out more about the show and all of us who make it at thehornedmoonpresents.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook, where you'll hear all about what goes on in Arden County between episodes. I'd also like to ask, because this episode comes out the day after my birthday, that you share it with a friend as a gift to me. So like, subscribe if we be friends. Next week, Banquo of Banquet attends.